It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. Okay, what if your problems could be resolved and the suffering that goes along with them could be alleviated? What if anxiety could transform into serenity? What if aliveness could replace the deadening feeling of depression? What if chronic pain that thus far has been unresponsive to treatment might be resolved, leaving a person pain-free? What if negative relationship problems could be replaced by relationships filled with understanding and empathy and a shared sense of engagement? And what if peace of mind and a feeling of being at home could replace the despair of alienation? Today's special guest, Dr. Andrew Hahn, co-author of the book, The One-Hour Miracle, is here to discuss a revolutionary healing framework called Life-Centered Therapy, LCT, which is a blueprint for transforming our physical, emotional, and mental, relational, and spiritual problems. Over the past 30 years, Life-Centered Therapy has been profoundly helpful at supporting people who want to heal from PTSD, depression, anxiety, chronic pain, and even some autoimmune issues. Dr. Hahn does this by guiding his clients to heal them through releasing trapped energy and trauma from their bodies. Andrew Hahn, PsyD, is a licensed clinical psychologist. He received his AB magna cum laude at social, in social uh, studies, psychology from Harvard University, impressive, and his PsyD in clinical psychology from Hahnemann University, <laughs> I'm going to ask you about that. He is certified by Helen Palmer to teach the, okay, this is one, Enneagram, 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 and has also been faculty member in the graduate counseling program at Leslie University and Northeastern University. Good morning. Are you with us? I'm totally with you, and I'm, like, uh, so honored to be here, truly. So thank you, Randy. <laughs> You're welcome. So Hahnemann University, does that have something to do with your last name? Uh, yeah, the same first four letters. That's what it has to do with my last name. So <laughs> Hahnemann, really Hahnemann a... was the first sort of, yes, it was a, Hahnemann was one of the first uh, medical doctors who took a truly holistic approach. And, um, and Hahnemann University had the second PsyD program in the country, and I was very interested in clinical stuff, so I didn't want to do a lot of research. So I wanted to get a PsyD instead of a PhD. And so it was, uh, it, and it was in Philadelphia, so it had such diverse training in the you know early 80s. Everything was happening in Philadelphia. It was really remarkable. So um, that, there's no there's no coincidence other than the fact that I, I'm lucky enough to share the first four letters of his. Longer okay. name. That's the, okay. the deal. Okay. Very interesting. 
So um, you wrote this book, The One Hour Miracle, and what you're talking about in this book is life-centered therapy. And so we're going to get into more details about life-centered therapy, but in general, what is life-centered therapy? I'll keep this really simple. I think people come for healing. I don't care what it's for. Like you said, it could be something physical like chronic pain or autoimmune disease or allergies or chronic fatigue or emotional like depression or mental like anxiety or relational like the same bad relationships, whether they're narcissistic or not, or because I know you're interested in that, or, or alienation, or you have a dream and something's blocking you. And I think it's all the same thing, which is... It is those symptoms are the revelation of something that couldn't be taken in stride and handled. So I think everything, that's my definition of trauma. Trauma, I think, is totally subjective, and it's simply something that can't be handled. So if you can't handle it, you have a trauma. And if you can handle it, you don't have a trauma, and nothing external matters in terms of that. So that's what I would say. So that's why people come for therapy. So I think therapy, if we're going to stick with that, is only one thing. It's mastering what couldn't be handled. And I think it's very simple to say how to do that, actually. Um, it's not so easy necessarily to do. Well, it's easy to do, but it's, it's, it's quite a journey when you start down it. But how you master it is when there's something that can't be handled. In that moment, a discomfort is born. And it's a living being just like Randy is. It's not... It's not, I'm, it's, it's not my headache, it's headache. Just like you're not my Randy, you're Randy. It's not, a, I wouldn't say it's a part of you any more than you're a part of it. You could say both of you are members of a community of Stonewall, except that you could say the spotlight right now is on Randy right in this moment. But I would say whenever there's something that can't be handled, a sensation is born. And what happens is we unconsciously identify with that sensation and lose all perspective and start living out its trauma. And so everything, parenthetically, that everything you suffer about is also, even though on an ego level or on a level of our personal lives, it's terrible, on a soul level, it's an invitation to remembering what it is that couldn't be handled and integrated. So every symptom is like a clue. And it's very simple to say how you can heal trauma. I'm going to tell everybody how to do it because it's really about aligning a higher vibration with a lower one. And what I mean by that is if you found the sensation, the discomfort, which is clearly a very dense energy, you can feel it. It's like I feel sick to my stomach or I have a pain in my shoulder or I, my throat's closing up or whatever. So it's a discomfort. So I would say the discomfort and the things you're suffering about are exact equivalents. And it's a living being whose name is that thing. So if you choose to bring all your attention there, so much so that it's like you're becoming that sensation from the inside out, and in a sense now your mouth is its mouth, your eyes are its eyes, but you're doing it by choice, something very interesting happens, which is you go from being unconsciously identified and living out that being story to choosing to become it in the same way that an actor would be choosing to become uh, a, a character in a play or a movie or a novel. And then you become identified with the, the self that's choosing and then bearing witness and holding whoever it is. And the second that happens, you're free. And so the miracle is freedom because 
The second you do that, you say, it's not who I am. It's just an experience that I had. And it's no different from any other experience at that point because you're bearing witness to it. You now have perspective again. And then one of two things happens by definition. As soon as you do that, it goes back into its pure form, which is energy. And so as soon as you bring all your attention to it and let it share its story and give it whatever it needs, magically that sensation will just dissolve. And it's because it goes back into its pure form. So when you align with that energy, with being yourself, which is energy, the big S self, it goes back into its pure form and you'll know that something has changed right away. You won't have to be in therapy for six months. And you can, and it can be anything. I don't care how horrific it is because the second you move, if you have any witnessing function whatsoever, that's all the resource you need. And it will go back into its pure form And then if that was the only reason you had that symptom, there's a guarantee in life that one of two things will happen. Either the symptom will go away or your relationship to it will change to such a degree that you won't have any suffering about it. You won't be anxious anymore about it. You won't be judgmental about it. You won't be comparative about it. You won't be compulsive about it. You'll just say it's a part of life. And when that happens, you don't have a problem because... All of us experience things. But if you say, I can, I can say yes to and accept anything that happens, including the changes that will naturally happen if I don't get in the way, life will continue to evolve through you and you'll be free. And that's basically what life-centered therapy is, is in a nutshell, that it's just jazz riffs. Okay. So where does, what part of the brain does witnessing come from? No part. No part. It's not about so... the brain. Okay, so we witness it from consciousness? Yeah, it is consciousness. I would say the witness and consciousness are the same thing, except that consciousness for many people is a mental process, whereas the witness is all three centers. It's mind, heart, and body, you could say. So you could say consciousness is soul, and you could say soul is the witness. So I would say the brain is a revelation of that, but it isn't that. It's just a manifestation. It's a material form manifestation. So, you know, you could say, well, certain areas of the brain may get more, um, you know, you might say the thymus, for example. Well, you wouldn't probably say the thymus, but you'd say anything, you know, you could say it's your third eye and the, and the areas of your brain that are associated with that, but okay. I wouldn't say it's brain function at all because it goes on beyond death, whereas the brain theoretically dies at death, but the witness mm-hmm. doesn't die at death. So okay. I, but that's my experience of it. So I, I don't even think about it in terms of brain function, right. although I can well, re- explain brain function in terms of it, if you like. But right. Well, the reason subject. that I asked is because often um, these um, – traumatic events get hidden and witnessing it's you know so I would imagine that you take people through the process of reaching that um, that place so that they can witness it right um, it, it you don't even have to take them through a process anybody can okay. do it if they're not totally totally if they have any witness function whatsoever they can be psychotic they can be multiple personality. They can be anything you like, and anybody can do it. 
And it doesn't take any going through it. It just takes an invitation. And the invitation mm-hmm. is just to say, you're going to find a sensation that's associated with the thing you're suffering about, and you're going to choose to become it. And then you're going to let it, sh- you're going to let it share its story, and you're just going to report. That's okay, so all we're, that happens. Okay, so we're going by the feeling that we have that's associated with it rather than the memory of it, the conscious memory of the it. The feeling right? holds, I mean, it'd be like saying, you're going to find Randy. Well, Randy has memories and Randy has feelings. And what I want to say to you is sick to stomach has memories and sick to stomach has feelings. The sensation is a living being and it isn't yours. It's its. So Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Suppose you're in my office, right? And a motorcycle backfires and you believe you're starting to have a panic attack. Right. Now, there's no theoretical reason you should be having a panic attack because the motorcycle is backfiring, right? So I could say, all right, Randy, when you're having the panic attack, what's happening in the body? And you'd say, my heart's pounding fast. And then I'm going to say something funny to you. I'm going to say, you're not having a panic attack. Someone whose name is heart pounding fast is having a panic attack. Your little toe is fine. It's not having a panic attack. So it can't be all of Randy right now. But Randy is Without being aware of it, she is reliving an echo of something. And it started the moment that Heart Pounding Fast was born. So what I'm going to invite you to do is you're going to become Heart Pounding Fast. That's easy to do. You're just going to bring all your attention there to such a degree that it's like Heart Pounding Fast is your name. Your name is no longer Randy. It's Heart Pounding Fast. And then I'm just going to start talking to Heart Pounding Fast. I'm not going to be talking to Randy because Randy doesn't know what's going on, and Randy doesn't have a problem in 2022, but Heart Pounding Fast does. So I'm going to say, Heart Pounding Fast, you teach us. What have you come to share about panic? What's happening to you? Where are you beginning? All right, now let's make it easy. Let's suppose you say, oh, my God, bombs are going off here. And and you know, 20 years ago, you were in Afghanistan. We'll keep it simple. And you say, bombs are going off near me, and I can't stand there. There's these loud noises, and I'm getting, I'm going to die. Right, something like that right? Except for the fact that you would no longer be identified with that. You'd be saying, oh, that's what happened to heart pounding fast. So even if it looked like you were being traumatized or re-traumatized, by definition, you're not. You can't be re-traumatized because you've chosen to become the sensation in the same way that the actor has chosen to be in a role and then fully enrolls themselves, but they know they're not the role. And you know you're not heart pounding fast. And either you'll live it out if you're kinesthetic, at which point you'll like, you know, start screaming and go on my floor, or you'll see it vividly like you're watching a movie if you're visual, or you'll just know what's happening if you're auditory, be like the reading and totally immersed in a novel. And when and they're gonna tell their story and then something remarkable is gonna happen. They're either gonna say, Just sharing my story with you was enough because now you've been you've borne witness to me. So you've mastered me. So you've aligned with me. So I can let go. And I will become who I truly am, which is what you truly are also, which is I'm going to speed up to the speed of light squared. I'm going to move that much faster, and I'm going to go from matter to energy. And suddenly you'll say something really weird. My heart's fine. It's not pounding fast anymore. And then theoretically, if that was the only reason you were having the panic attack, the next time the motorcycle backfired, You'd say, this is reminding me, I'm remembering what happened 20 years ago, but it isn't who I am. It's just an experience I'm having, 
And it's no different from any other experience, although it was a less pleasant one than some other ones. But that's the only difference. And then you're free. So um, that's what I'd say about I hope that okay. clarifies. Yeah. Oh, no. Wow. That's, that's such a unique approach, such a fascinating approach to, um, to these kind of um, – to the responses that we're having to trauma. I mean, that's, that's just amazing. Um, let's start from the beginning. Let's, let's go back to where you talk about a creation myth. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what the creation myth is and how this all comes to play. Well, I, I mean, it's a myth. It's one we made up kind of, but I think because I can talk to you about the other creationists, which is Adam and Eve, which also explains this, but in a different way. But let's suppose okay. we're, we're going to start with the one that's in the book, which is we're going to start with something we're going to call life. Okay. And in the beginning, whether you want to call it life or God, I don't care what you call it. It's unitive. There is nothing other than life itself. Okay. And, you know, the Bible says something very interesting. It says, what is life or God? It says it's omnipotent, right? It's all-powerful, and it's omniscient. It's all-knowing. But you'll find there's no exact equivalent word in that, that frame of reference for all-loving. Words have been created about it, but there isn't any. And why is that? Because, you know, we have the aphorism, when two or more are gathered, there is love. So if you want to create more love, you have to create something that you can love. Now, you're all-powerful, so you can do it, and you're all-knowing, so you know that it's possible, but you have never experienced it. So if you want to experience love in your life, you have to create something that you can love. And so you could say, we are life's creation to create more love. Now, who we truly are then is life. But what happens in every mystical tradition says the same thing. The divine does five things. It's, I can show it to you in mystical in Sufism, which would be Muslim or, or Islam or Judaism and the Kabbalah. They all essentially say the same thing. Okay, so what does God do? God creates, God sustains, God destroys, God mystifies, and God reveals, which is revelation of grace. Now, I would say one of the aspects of our life work is to remember who we truly are, which is life, which is everything. That's our, one of the two things we're on this planet to do, is to remember who we truly are. And the way we remember is we bear witness as opposed to identifying with anything. So when you are who you truly are, there is no identity at all. There is nothing So even when you say I'm Randy or I say I'm Andy, you could say it's a trauma structure because we're identifying with something that isn't the truth. It's an illusion. Who we are is everything and everything is who we are and everything is an evolving who we are. All right. So that's the idea. So trauma simply is when we forget who we are. And we can forget who we are in the smallest of ways, and we can forget who we are in the largest of ways. And, you know, it depends on whether you want to, you know, whether you're one of us or you're Jesus. 
who had the same, as an exemplar, the same issue, right? <laughs> Jesus, right before he dies, is screaming at his father, right? He's saying, why hast thou forsaken me? And he's screaming and yelling, and how can you do this to me, right? And he's in a trauma structure, you could say. And then he remembers who he truly is. And, his, and as he's being crucified, he says, I give my soul over to you. He's no longer traumatized because he knows no one can do anything to him because there is no him to do anything to. That's why he can be resurrected, so to speak, because he never died in the first place. It was just an illusion. But as soon as we believe we die, then we have a problem because then we could be anxious about it or scared about it or try to run away from it or anything, as opposed to saying, okay, it's just one more experience. So we're trying to get to a place where we can say everything is no big deal. And when we can do that, we say, of course, who we are is everything and everything is who we are. And the way to understand that, from my point of view, and I'll be quiet in a second because you've asked me this really interesting question. The (laughs) metaphor I like is sort of the holographic biological metaphor of cells. So we have about 3 trillion human cells. I've got to waste my... I'll get back to my creation myth if you want. We have about three trillion of them. Now, they're, they're very interesting, right? Because on the surface, they're all different. They're all differentiated. You will never find two that are the same. They're like snowflakes or like people because even identical twins aren't the same, right? On the surface, we're all different. But underneath it, we all have to be the same. In cells, it's called the DNA. And theoretically, you could take one cell of a being and you could create its whole universe in the present moment. That's called Dolly the sheep. So you clone a whole sheep essentially from one cell. So that says if the mystical idea is that we are cells in the body of a living being called life, that means that who we are is everything that ever was, is, and potentially can be. That's who we are. And the second we forget it, we think that there's something different from us. And it's only true on the surface. On the surface, we're different. But underneath it, I'm the, the, the bacteria and I'm the antibiotics, right? I am Jesus and I am Hitler. I'm everything, just in the same way that because I'm the DNA of life, that's who I am. But there's a difference, which is on the surface, we're all different, right? So on a soul, you could say on a spiritual level, our journey is to remember who we are. That's called that's called grace, or it's called revelation. We've forgotten who we are. That's called the mystery. The fourth face of God is called the mystery. We are mystified. We forget who we are, and we identify with something limited and separate. And our work is to say, I'm everything. I'm unlimited, and I'm one. And so we long for union to become truly who we are, and life longs for love. And the more we create union, which is to remember the more love there is. So there's this wonderful dance between life and its, and its children who are us, who are also, each of us is life. Each of us is, you know, life itself. Each of us is in relationship with life, and everybody is the same way. So we're all the same. It's just we're vibrating at different levels, but we're all the same. That's the idea. Okay, so but then we have the differentiated aspect of ourselves, which says that each of us has our own unique role to play. And how do we do that? When we align with life, we have a felt sense of I know what's true for me. And I know when I know what's true for me, which is an intuitive knowing. The head doesn't have a clue, but our guts know. When you tune into your gut and say, what's true for me? What's my, what's my contribution 
if I wasn't trying to figure it out, but I just said, I already know. I have a felt sense. And then you say, well, once I know that, then you bring your attention to the center of chest and you say, given that, what do I desire? What do I aspire to? That would be the living out of that knowing, right? And that is our particularity. And that's what we're about. And everything from my point of view is in the service of those two things. To get free, to know that who we are is everything and everything is who we are. And to get free to say, in that magical evolving unity that I get to play my particular role in the evolution of life itself. And that's my understanding. All trauma is, is forgetting those two things. That's all it is. And all it is is when you identify with something. And the reason you do that from the most mundane thing to the most existential, right? Because what on the most existential level, the problem with becoming who you truly are is you cease to exist as a separate being. So it'd be like a raindrop that's being pulled into the ocean, right? And it's saying, I don't want to go into the ocean because I'll no longer exist. Whereas we would know, we would say, <laughs> no, you're just becoming you're just becoming who you truly are. And that ocean that you think is your worst enemy is calling you, and it's saying, come. What do you think gravity is? Gravity is love, right? It's attraction. That's why it's the weakest and strongest force in the universe. It's like saying, I'm calling you. Come. Remember. And we're, we're, we're raindrops. We're saying, forget it, baby. I'd rather be dead than go back and become you. <laughs> right? So, and that's true whether it's narcissistic relationships or anxiety or the most mundane things because, you know, your parents neglected you one day and now you're feeling like everyone will neglect you to, if I truly who I am, I will cease to exist. And it's all the same thing on different levels. And all we're trying to do is saying, none of it is who we are. And, and that's, that's, what, yeah. that's, what I'm, that's, that's what I'm giving, that's what I'm inviting people into, is to say, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you're wounding, you just had wounding. That's all. Right. And the second you know that, you're free. And then you could, the worst things in the world could have happened to you. And if you could find out what it truly was and say, I'm not that. It's just an experience that was had, but it's not who I am. I'm the one who was the experiencer of the experience. I'm not mm. the one who's identified with it. There's my myth. This is so fascinating to me. And, you know, um, it, yeah, you just have a different way of explaining it, but it, it, I mean, it makes so much sense what you're saying. I know that this concept can be quite large and feel very difficult to people who have never um, <clears throat> seen themselves as consciousness or um, seen themselves as being part of the whole or anything like that. Is there a process in which you take people uh, a process that you take people on to help them to see themselves this way, because the concept, while I get it, and many people do, could be very difficult for some people to understand. So how do you approach that? Uh, It's easy. I'll tell you how. You come in, you say I'm miserable about something. I don't care what you say. You say I want something different. And I will take you from the, the simplest to the most seemingly largest, right? So you say, I'm in a bad relationship. Okay. 
fine. You're in a bad relationship. And you've been in the same kind of bad relationship over and over and over again. So we know you're reliving something. You're trying to master it in order to heal and grow. So we're going to find out what it is you're reliving, right? And as soon as you know that, by becoming the person who experienced it for the first time, because after that, everything is an echo, right? Just like I told you, the guy with the panic attack. Well, he's not having a panic attack because the motorcycle backfired. But you could say he keeps attracting it in order to heal and grow. Well, we do the same thing, you know, and we're attracting something that couldn't be handled. So if we could go back to where it originated and transform it, you're free. It's easy. I mean, it's such an easy thing to explain. to I told you, a nine-year-old can understand this. In fact, they do. They love it. Kids love this therapy because they become whatever it is that it is that, you know, where they're stuck. They choose to become a like play therapy, and then they tell this being story, and then if they being needs something, they give it to them, and then their problem goes away. And they're like, oh, my goodness. And then you think they're happy. Their parents are really happy. Um, <laughs> and it's, it, and it, 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 you're doing play therapy, but on mm-hmm. the being that's traumatized, right? So you don't have to go and play checkers or whatever if you're a child therapist or, you know, even even because I can find out, I can kind of determine with them what the most important thing to work on and anybody can find a body sensation. And mm-hmm. all you then do is become the body sensation. And then you just report. That's your job. My job is to have, know the framework. Your job is to be a reporter. And life's job is to be a revealer. That's it. That's the whole thing. And anybody can do it. There's no, I've done this for 30 years. There isn't one person who can't yet. I'm sure tomorrow will be the first time, but it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Right. Okay, and it's easy. I mean, it's really easy. Anybody could do it. It's like simple. I'd say if you have a headache before you take a pill, you might say, headache, what have you come to share with me? And then you bring all your attention to headache and become headache. And it's not like if headache could talk, what would it say? That'd be like saying if Randy could talk, what would it say? Randy would say, Randy, I would say, I can talk. What do you mean if I could talk? Headache says the same thing. So you don't, say if, you don't say to someone, if Heather could talk, what would it say? Any more than I would say to somebody, if Randy could talk, what would she be saying? Randy would say, why are they asking me? So you become headache, and you just let it share. You say, what if you come to share about pain or whatever? Or let's suppose you have some kind of suffering about something, whether it's an awful relationship or you can't be in front of crowds or you... You wanted to have a radio show, but every time you went to do it, something st- stopped you, right? You know, you right. Say, I'm blocked. Okay. I say, when you, I say, Randy, when you become blocked and you can't get on the radio show, what happens to the body? You say, oh, my God, I'm feeling like I'm going to throw up. And I'm going to say, of course, Randy, well, it's not you that's having a problem. It's, we'll call it nausea. Nausea is having a problem. So what you're going to do is you're going to say you're going to become nausea. And then we're going to say, nausea, you teach us. What have you come to share about? your anxiety about being on this radio show. Where are you beginning? What's happening? Nausea will tell you. The only problem is Randy may not be open to what nausea already knows. So Randy may need some clues because it may never have occurred to Randy that it's from someplace altogether different, right? And that's why I say you have to open to every possibility. Every possibility of what the problem could be, every possibility of where it could have originated, and every possibility of what that being might need if just sharing its story while you listen and bear witness isn't enough. And it will say, 
that's nice, but that was necessary but not sufficient. I need something else. At which point you find out what the something else is. And either that being knows or the or your client knows, which is remarkable, some of the things people know when they just when they go into the place of not trying to figure it out but just seeing what comes to them. It's amazing what clients can come up with. And if they don't know, I've studied a hundred things and I can teach all of them to you. So if you need what's called emotional freedom technique because you need to tap because you're frozen, you can do that. If you need EMDR because you have a left-right split, we could do that. If you need frontal occipital holding because you have a front-back split, we could do that. If you do, if you dissociate it before death in a story and you need to go through a death process, we can do that. I'd say let's find every possible key because if I know one thing, if I know EMDR, I'm going to do EMDR with you. But I'd say, well, EMDR is nice. It's the best thing if we want to deal with a left-right split, which is going to be something about little and big pictures, right? Right, if I right. Want to deal with, if I want to deal with, you know, you saw something and it stopped you from being able to have executive function, I'd want to do something called frontal occipital holding because it's a little bit probably more elegant than EMDR. And if I want to deal with the fact that you're frozen like a deer in headlights, I'm probably going to want to do some kind of acupressure. So, like I'd say, like, find out all the possible ways you can move energy and everything can move energy and then ask the being soul what's the best thing for them. So I say, I don't know anything. But if I've learned enough things, at least I have a big toolbox, I can say, your soul knows what you need, you, and it's going to reveal itself through you. My job is not to be an expert. My job is to learn from the one who really knows. And every therapist in the world should say, the only thing I'm expert in is the thing I've studied. But you're the expert on revealing, having revealed to you what's true for you. And my job is to be quiet and listen. Mm-hmm. It's that's so refreshing to hear, you know, um, that you really are hearing each person and where where they're coming from. <clears throat> I think this is a problem, or I should say, an issue that many people have when they go to doctors, they go to therapists. The therapist or the doctor is doing what they usually do, and treating the person mm-hmm. as if they're like everyone else, instead of treating the mm-hmm. person for who they are and. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I wish that all therapies would function this way because this me just makes too. so much sense <laughs> to ahead, me. So, yeah, um, me do you, do you strictly work out of an office or do you do virtual, um, appointments? I, I, I do, I work with people and anywhere. Okay. If you're on the moon, and I'd you, work with you. Okay. And you do work with children. Uh huh. Children okay. love this. Right. I can tell you stories that are amazing. Okay. About working with children because children love telling stories. So I mean, like. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's that's really good. I'm 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 keeping mental notes here. If you want, I'm, okay. I I can tell you stories from now until forever, except they're like dreams from me. Right. Some of them stand out so much, where I write them down. <clears throat> I mean, every session to me is kind of miraculous. But I've seen things with kids that mm-hmm. if you had told me, I mean, they would have said in graduate school, the things I'm seeing are impossible. Okay. I that, well, okay, so they're impossible, and you know, it's like you, you say, well, you know, I believe it in pigs can fly to the moon, except now we have to open to the possibility that pigs could, right? <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you a story. You want to hear a story about a kid? Well, I'll tell you an amazing yeah, tell, story tell about me a kid. Story. Yeah, tell me a story. Tell me, yeah, quickly. So well, we, we don't so have we to. Move on. What would you like? You tell me what you'd like. I'll, well, I can, so I'll go anywhere you want. There's so many things that you talk about in this book. It's really, really interesting. Um, okay. 
<clears throat> so we sort of have the concept of what this is all about. Um, I wanted to go to this place in your book where, and I actually said this to you before um, we got on air. You talk yeah. about <clears throat> all the different kinds of, um, let me see what you call it, triple center patterns in the non-material realms. <clears throat> what mm-hmm. you see can, see can hurt you. Okay, so mm-hmm. y- you bring up curses. And yeah. I, I wanted you to talk about your perspective of what that is. You know, because most people say, well, I don't know if I believe in them, if I don't believe in them. Or some people say, I've been cursed and I'm stuck with this. Okay, so what is your perspective on that? My perspective is if someone, if someone's cursed, either because they believe it or I determine that through my diagnostic, and we transform it and something remarkable happens in their lives, who cares whether it's literally true or not? Now, if you're asking me philosophically, I say, of course it's true, because I believe that people can transform energy. And, like, you can know it. I'll tell you how you'd know it. If you walked into a room and you had your eyes closed and you felt loving energy coming from everybody, you'd feel energized. If you walked into a room and you felt hate coming at you from everybody, you would feel it if you paid attention. But what do you think a curse is? A curse is just someone or some beings sending you a lot of energy where they want, you know, something negative in your perspective to happen to you. Well, we, can, we all know that that's something we can experience. That's a curse. Now, some people do it more literally, and they will do a ritual around it. And, but, you know, it doesn't matter. It can, if it maps as a curse and we transform the curse, you won't care. Now, some people will come in and say, I know I've been cursed. And I'll, I use kinesiology. I use muscle testing, and I say, and, you know, I'll just, I'll check, I'll do a double check for you. And if it's, a, if their arm stays strong, or if I'm doing it remotely, if I just, if my body goes strong when I become them, because I can become them in the same way that you can become a body sensation. I just tune into them, all my attention, and suddenly I'm Randy, right? Then I can muscle right. test Randy because I can't. But let's say you're in the room and you say, you know, Andy, I believe I've been cursed. And I'll say, fine, hold out your arm and just say with all your conviction, I'm cursed. And if your arm stays strong, your soul is going to say you're cursed. And I can even find out you are cursed or you feel cursed or you cursed yourself or whatever. I can find out what kind of curse it is because there are different kinds and different levels. And anything you need, and less is more, but anything you need in order to transform the curse will happen. I'll tell you a story about, I'll tell you a story about the kid and the curse. Okay. Um, I had a kid who was Asperger's. I mean, really out of control Asperger's, you know, when that diagnosis was still in vogue, which it still is a little, totally like out of control. In fact, he, his mother said, I have to be in the room the first time this happens, okay? Now, this kid is also failure to thrive. He's 11 years old. He looks like he's about six. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out we're going to work on that. And it turns out that his failure to thrive and some other things were a curse. And... Uh, it turns out that the curse started in his understanding of things 5,000 years ago, but it first revealed itself in this lifetime when he was in the womb. And he says, I know exactly when it happened. Now, his mother had never told him this. He said, this curse came on me when I was in the womb for seven months, and it was a curse to stop growing. And he's telling us this. He drops into the body sensation of I am cursed, 
And he tells us this. And he says, the curse started 5,000 years ago, but it showed up in this lifetime when I was seven months old in the womb. Now, his, no one, he was very articulate, but no one ever told him this. He said, I stopped growing. His mother turns white as a sheet and said, that's when he stopped growing. He was a normal-sized um, fetus, and at seven months, he stopped growing, basically. And no one had ever said that to this young man. And I can vouch for that. I know that's true. She's like white as a sheet. And he says, I know what to do about this. He says, I'm going to take out my curse then, and I'm going to blast away these people that look kind of like strange combinations of aliens and Egyptians. He described them to us. And he said, I'm going to take out my curse gun, and I'm going to blast them all away. And he does. And you know what happens? Three weeks later, they come back, and he's gone from the third percentile of uh, in failure to thrive. He's now at the 25th percentile of growth in three weeks. That is miraculous. Then he had another curse. It was miraculous, and his mother told the story. In another curse, okay, same thing. He's getting the wildest curses. Um, I don't remember <laughs> because we're talking now 25 some odd years ago. But I mean, I I remember some curse stories better. But the amazing thing it was like something that was disrupting him, and he t- takes out his curse gun again. He blows it away, and his mother comes in the next time. He says, because she wasn't in the session after the first one. He said, "What did you do for my kid?" He actually came up to me and said, Mommy, can I set the table? And he came, went and set the table and he did it perfectly. Like, and he came to me and said, I want to do this. He said, that's even as miraculous as the fact that he started growing. <laughs> said, and it was because of a curse. Now, I don't care. Do you care whether it's real or not? His mother didn't. No. No. Philosophically, I'd cold. say, of course, I believe it's real. Mm-hmm. My beliefs don't make one iota of difference. And believe, you know, and believe it or not, your beliefs don't make any difference either. If I no. find out you're cursed and you say, I don't believe in curse, I say, fine. Willingly suspend disbelief. And then suddenly something happens to you and you get pregnant when you've been trying to get pregnant for seven years. And we t- find out there was a process curse on you. And somebody not only cursed you around being pregnant, but they cursed you around the harder you would try, the worse it would get for you. And we take care of that curse. And then your next cycle after seven years, you're pregnant. Are you going to give one iota a care? whether it was literally true or not, you're pregnant. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about so many people that can use this type of therapy. Um, I'm uh, like super impressed. I love it. Um, And I can, you know, I can understand it. I can relate to it. You also talk about extraterrestrials. Um, And how does Mm -hmm. this fit into this whole pattern? People can get traumatized around I mean, you know, some people leave in some things that don't. You know, John Mack wrote the whole book called Abduction, right? But he didn't believe in dark energies. Other people believe in dark energies and curses, but don't believe that you can have extraterrestrial trauma. I say open to everything. All right. So what kind of extraterrestrial trauma is there? Well, there's a lot. I mean, some of which we have in the book. Uh, and, but my favorite story, I think we have this in the book. Um, this was my favorite extraterrestrial story. It was a, it was a story of an implant. And... Um, my co-author's husband had this story, who was an engineer, and he was open to this stuff, but it was a little bit weird. And it says he, he had tinnitus and hearing loss, okay? And um, <laughs> there's, she'll probably listen to this, but so anyway. He has tinnitus and hearing loss, and she does a balance on him for his tinnitus. You know what it says his tinnitus is? It says it's an extraterrestrial implant. Okay, that's an interesting story. So you can find that. There's a trauma around an extraterrestrial implant and somehow it's showing up in tinnitus, okay? Interesting idea. Dense energy in his head that feels like 
what one, one could call an implant, and he brings all his attention there because that's going to be the moment something happened, okay? It originated, and they found out it originated in this lifetime, which is all he needed to know. And he drops his attention into that. He says, oh, my God, I know exactly what's going on. I'm knowing the second hand, right? He said, and I think this is the story. It's close enough. He said, I'm in the car, and I think I'm going to hear some really bad news, and I don't want to hear it. And I am saying out to the universe without pointing at any place. He's just saying, I don't want to hear this news. And suddenly he sees this very strange creature put this rod in his ear, and suddenly he has static in his ear. Okay. Now, that's an interesting story. So he says that being is there, and he said, you know, thank you very much. I'm grateful. I didn't realize my tinnitus was a wish I had, you know, I, because, and he was traumatized at the time. He didn't want to hear this news, which I'm not going to talk about what the news was. That doesn't matter. But he was traumatized, okay, because he was, in a sense, in a dissociated state. It wasn't like he was saying, oh, could you please put this thing in my ear so I don't hear the bad news, and then when that's over, please take it out. He did not say that, obviously, because he was in total shock. So he says, I, I know what's happening. He says, I know what I'm supposed to do, according to my co-author. He says, I'm supposed to ask him to melt the thing, okay? They melt the thing. His tinnitus goes away, plus he had hearing loss in one of his two ears. That seemed to go away, too. He said, I don't believe it. But we know that that was true because that night, I can say this because she says this, you know, she whispered into the ear that had all the hearing loss and he heard what she said. Now, his hearing loss came back, and interestingly, he didn't ask to do any more work with it, um, but his tinnitus never came back. That, that is incredible. That's implant. Now, so we have a, implant it, stories, we have okay. abduction stories, we have, you know, um, stories where, where people feel like something from another dimension has come into their field and has, like, you know, push them aside. We have stories where people totally identify with being from other places and get traumatized in the journey here or say, like, I was, this is not what I signed up for. And, like, you know, and feel totally traumatized that they're here and they don't like the food and, you know, they, they, no wonder they have all kinds of food allergies because it's not their own planet. And you take care of it and their food allergies go away and their sense of existential, like, whatever goes away and their sense of, like, I can't live my mission goes away. Because they identified with being someone from another dimension altogether and they just happened to be in human form. All of which we can determine because we can do we can determine it using muscle testing. We can do a diagnostic and find out where you're stuck. And sometimes we find stories for people like with this man, who believe me, he would never have considered that his tinnitus was an extraterrestrial implant. But tinnitus went away. He had to consider it. Believes in extraterrestrials, right? But so, but he had he had a a visual around that. So was that was that something that he consciously remembered, or he was um, it was it was not in his conscious memory. It just came forth when um, mm -hmm. of course when he did the session, because when you become the body sensation, you are the person the being, because it's not always a person, but you mm-hmm. are the being in the moment the trauma happens. You, the, it's amazing the vividness that people will remember things that they had no clue ever existed and no mm-hmm. memory of whatsoever. Okay. Especially if it's something that happened to, you know, their great-great-grandmother and their father's side and they didn't even know who she was, but mm-hmm. they find it and they say, I know what happened to her. Or, you know, they do these karmic stories 
<clears throat> one of my favorite ones is this guy, you know, which you can watch this. It's on a, it's on a YouTube channel. He was a medium, and he had terrible stomach problems. And it turned out it was what in our framework it was – he had done a lot of things with stomach problems, which you can hear, but it turned out it was a, it was a karmic death wish. And so you, if you believe in other lifetimes, you could say, he, you know, someone, something often to him happened in another lifetime. <coughs> and, of course, if you don't believe in other lifetimes, who cares? You could say it's like adult play therapy or it's imaginal or it's like your personal mythology. I don't care. So he goes and he finds his story. And this is very interesting because he's a medium, right? He's talking to dead people. But it never occurs to him, of course, that um, it never occurs to him that who he was in another lifetime, which was something that never got resolved, could be playing out as an echo in this lifetime, which is, of course, very interesting because a lot of people do an awful lot of work in this lifetime, but it's just an echo of what happened in another lifetime. Well, he finds his story. He knows exactly where he is because he's, like, so attuned to this stuff. He's like, I think he's in Missouri in 1873, and he's this... A train robber, and he gets shot in the stomach, and he has this excruciating death, like really awful. <clears throat> and then he finally like doesn't want to feel the pain anymore. He leaves his body, and his body dies when he's not in his body, which is a problem because then you never experience dying. So he lives out that death scene, and he has these excruciating stomach problems, and nobody understands why they're there, right? Hmm. Okay. So we take care of that. We say, well, here's your problem. The problem is, we say to this nice, we say to this person we say you didn't know you would die because it was so painful that you left your body which is called dissociation or a lost soul part depending on your frame of reference <clears throat> and that part never experienced dying so you're living out its story because it never was able to handle the death so you know 150 years later you have terrible stomach problems it's an echo you're not dead but it's not doing you you know you're in a lot of stomach pain that nobody really understands because it never occurred to them that it was, so you were shot 150 years ago in Missouri, which you've never been to Missouri. So what are we going to do? We're going to say, here's your problem. You didn't know you had died. So we're going to call all the pots back into the body, and this time you're going to choose to leave as opposed to leaving you know, automatically because you were so afraid of that much pain. So he calls all the pots back into the body, lets himself fully die, sees the light above him, goes to the light, says he's done, stomach problems goes away, and he checks it out, and he finds that he even knew this guy's name. And he finds the name, and he finds a small article about what happened, because I guess it was a big enough train robbery that it was historically a small fact, um, and, and that's my recollection. Now, of course, this happened a long time ago, too, so, you know, but it's something like that. And, you know, so... I don't know how I got there with you, but your work, your, work, interesting. your work is so fascinating. You must just love doing this because of all the different things that you discover about people. It's, it's fascinating. Um, my it's question amazing. is if you do, um, if you're doing kinesiology to help people identify these things, how do you, what do you mm-hmm. do if you're working remotely, if you're working over zoom or something like that? How do you do that? It's simple. I do it. I surrogate for them. And what I do, if you remember the original idea, right, on the surface we're all different, on the, in, but underneath it we're all the same. So okay. I am you and you are me. So if okay. I can go into the template, if nothing is blocking me from going into the template, and it's not my trauma, it's your trauma, so theoretically nothing would keep me from focusing so much on you that I could, in a sense, stand in for you. I stand in okay. for you and then I start muscle testing myself. And I do it by, you know, I use my body as a pendulum, but, you know, people do it through, 
using, if, I mean, if your audience doesn't know muscle testing, it's just a way of accessing, from my point of view, your deepest, deepest knowing. And the way you do it is you ask your body to be a means of communication for what we might call soul. And then what happens, of course, is for most people, when something is true for them, in some way they get noticeably stronger. And when something isn't true for them, they get noticeably weaker. And we all know about these things. I mean, like when you're aligned with life, like if you, I mean, I don't know, I know you have a child, but say your child is a toddler and a car runs over your child and you're you, Mm -hmm. right? And suddenly you're picking up a 2,000-pound car and you ask the mother how she could do it. She doesn't say it was willpower. She doesn't say I knew, she says I knew I could do it. And it's not a mental knowing, it's a visceral Mm -hmm. knowing, and she picks up the car. So literally when you're aligned with life, you get stronger. And it's the same thing here. And And we you ask your body to be a means of communication. We can ask anything we want, and I can ask questions you don't even know on a conscious level what they mean, except I'll explain it to you. But, of course, your soul knows everything because it is the template. It's not the particular, right? It's an it's a, it's, it's, it's a aspect. It's, it's, it is a mystical cell of the template. So in that way, you could say you know everything that ever was, is, and could happen. You just can't access it when we were identified with the surface. Hmm. That's the same idea. Interesting. And that's how I do it. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good, that's a good answer. Um, you know, it's interesting that you were talking well, about the alien. The answer, the thank you. <laughs> the answer, thank you. <laughs> um, when you were talking about, you know, people who um, aren't really of this world and they're not fitting into the world and that's why they're having problems. That's me. <laughs> I really believe uh-huh. that I'm not of this world. <laughs> so I, I need to come talk to you and we can see. If, if I'm right, but um, I've been called an alien by every every practitioner that's ever worked on me. <laughs> yeah, well, they just probably didn't know what to do with you as an alien and whatever that, yes. whatever the sense of alienation was, right? <laughs> well, I can guarantee you, as much as I can guarantee anything, that you and I could do something together about this. Okay, all right. It would be a pleasure. Okay, yes, I would love to do that. Um, and I have other people that I'm going to refer to you because um, you just – what am I trying to say? You have the answers that no one else seems to have, or you find the answers, or you tap into. I don't know how you would like me to word that, but you tap into the answers that no one else seems to be able to do. And um, and I just find this this completely mind blowing and fascinating. But I completely believe you. So hopefully, my mm-hmm. listeners are are perking up and thinking, hmm. You know, he could help me. How do we um, how do we contact you if we want to work with you? It's simple. You, I mean, if you want to contact me directly, um, well, I mean, the simplest way is our website. It's called lifecenteredtherapy.com. Okay. And you can go there and you can find all of our practitioners. If you want to contact me directly, you can just write A as in Andy Hahn. So A Hahn, H-A-H-N, at lifecenteredtherapy.com. Dot com and I do answer okay. my emails. Um, okay. And you know I'm not the easiest person to get because uh, you know a lot of people want to work with me, but we train people. And I will tell you, on some level, the framework is more powerful than you know. I mean, it, I do have more experience than a lot of people I've trained, but they they know the framework inside and out. And believe me, they can do amazing stuff. Or to put it differently. I still have that 17-year-old girl who's a senior in high school who does this one session with the senior healer, and she comes back and says, like, amazing. It's because it's the technology, and I hate that word in some way, but the technology and the framework is just really different 
tests and anything else that I know that's out there. And, you know, I'm a tennis player, and I want you to know if Bjornborg had a, you know, ping pong paddle and I had a racket like the kind I have, I'd beat him. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, gosh, I'm so glad I got to talk with you today. So we're talking about your book, um, in addition to everything else. We're talking about the one-hour miracle, a five-step process to guide yourself healing, change the story, reauthor your life. Um, And your book is available where? How do we get this? The easiest way, obviously, is Amazon. um, And you can get it as a book. You know, you can get it as an audio. You can get it on Kindle. And please, if you do read the book, write us a review. I've been told that that helps get the word out there. So, you know. Um, it does. But mm-hmm. you can get it You get it in any form you can get it. It's all okay. there. And you can get it in local bookstores and, you know, there's all okay. places you can get it. But fortunately or unfortunately, everybody knows Amazon. Yep, that's kind of what I use. Um, what do you want to leave us with, if anything? Just remember what's important, which is to be able to be the one who has perspective and to become aware and to accept everything. Because when you can accept yourself and accept everything else, then your life can really change. And when you're fighting it, you're just fighting life. So I agree. And just agree. remember that every time there's something that you can't handle, is a body sensation and every discomfort believe it or not is a living being who's here to share something with you so ask them and then listen thank you for that amazing message oh i so appreciate you appreciate you being with me today and um i know i've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and i've learned a lot so um you know that's why i do the show and um yeah it's really really been a wonderful hour spending it with you so thanks again well, it's been a wonderful hour for me, too. I mean, like, I'm, like, goosebumpy all over, and it's not just because I'm sitting in air conditioning. So I'm deeply <laughs> appreciative, you know. Okay. I want, to, right. I want people to know. I, I hate suffering, you know. I do, too. I do, I too. I know. That's why we're talking. That's exactly right. Yeah. Divine intervention. Okay. Well, I... Okay. um. I will be in touch with you, but thank you so much for being my guest today. It's really been a pleasure. Mine too. I look forward so much to talking with you. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So bye. we are bye. We are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, <clears throat> you can email, email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. Mm-hmm. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.